possible and, uh, and all that. And, and, uh, and so we don't like to lose. And, uh, but tonight I want to talk, the message tonight is the fight you can't afford to win. And, uh, and we don't need to win when we're fighting God. And, and so we're going to look at the story of Jacob when he wrestled with God. And, uh, and, and so uh, we're going we're gonna to learn some lessons from that. And so, uh, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. I mean, Jacob's name, you can write this down, it's your first blank, means heel grabber. Because, it, you know, Jacob was coming out, he, he, he was, he's wanted to be first so bad, he tried to keep Esau from coming out and grabbed him by the heel. And, uh, and it, it could also uh, mean, you know, uh, when you say, hey, my name's Jacob, it's heel grabber trickster, cheater, liar, uh, you know, J- that's what Jacob was, and that was his identity, and, and so I think this story is probably going to be great uh, for us, because if the truth be told, and none of us want the truth to come out, do we? But if the truth be told, there's a little bit of Jacob in all of us, and, uh, and so we're going to learn how God deals with Jacob, and oftentimes God deals with us the same way. So why would God love Jacob? I mean, the Bible says this, that Jacob I have loved, but Esau I hated. Why in the world would God love one of the brothers and not love the other? And, uh, and so God loved Jacob for the same reason he loves you and me. You know, he didn't love Jacob for who he was. Write this down. He loved Jacob for what he could make out of him or what he could make him into. God saw potential in Jacob and said, I can do something with him. And, and Jacob had an openness about him that, that God said, I can do something with him. And, and hopefully when God looks at you, he's able to say, man, I can do something with Larry. I can do something with Terry. I can do something with Kathy. I can do something with Robert. I can even, you know, I can even do something with Kevin back there. I mean, you know, he, he's looking at you and saying, hey, I can do something with that. And, uh, and, and I want to tell you, he doesn't change us so he can love us. He changes us because he loves us. He changes us because he loves you. See, he loves you right where you are. He just loves you too much to leave you where you are. And so he's going to change us into the men and women that he wants to be. So let me give you a little context to the story tonight. Jacob has been away from home for over 20 years. If you remember, uh, he tricked Esau out of his birthright. He kind of stole his birthright from him. And then he covered himself up with the hair of an animal and went in and fixed his father's favorite meal that Esau made and, and got Jacob, I mean, got, got his, his father Isaac to bless him. And, and uh, then when Esau came, the blessing was already gone. And so Esau basically told him, said, look, when our father dies, you're going to die. That's, I mean, you know. And so Jacob just decided to saturate that place with his absence. He ran. He left. And uh, he went to live. Uh, for 20 years with his uncle Laban. And uh, Laban, this is, if you, you really ought to go back in Genesis and read some of this, and, and, uh, because Laban was just like Jacob. He's a trickster, a liar, a thief, all those things. And so you had each one of them trying to get over on the other. And, uh, and so it, it's, you know, it's kind of, you know, you got the trickster trying to out-trick the trickster, and, uh, you know, and che- the cheater cheating the cheat, and all that stuff. But during this time, God used Laban to, to deal with Jacob. And, uh, and at some point, 
Jacob had an experience with the Lord. He met the Lord. In Genesis 28, 21, he said, if I return safely to my father's house, in other words, that's code for if Esau doesn't kill me, then God really loves me. I mean, you know, and, uh, and he said, the Lord will certainly be my God. So he's saying, hey, look, you know, I'm, I'm God's guy if Esau doesn't kill me, you know. And so he's heading back home. He's going to meet Esau. Now, he knows that he has to. And let me just say this. We have to be right with people before we can be right with God. Or, or we can't be one without the other. If you, you can't say, I love God, but you hate people. And we really can't love people the way we need to unless we love God. And so we need to, we need to understand that. And so here in, in verses 1 of Genesis 32, uh, well, it said uh, this. I, I've skipped a blank, so I know y'all will call me on that. You can write this out. Jacob is a defended man. He's a defended man, defended. And, and while he's on his way home, what he doesn't know is a couple of angels show up to protect him. Uh, he had an angel escort, and he didn't know he had them until this happened. It said, as Jacob started on his way again, angels of God came to meet him. Now, wouldn't that be cool? You see some angels that came to take care of you. And when Jacob saw them, he exclaimed, this is God's camp. So he named the place Mahanaham. Now, has anybody, probably not, ever seen an angel? Me neither. I'm kind of jealous. I've got a friend in Namibia, Africa, and uh, they, were, they were camping in a, in a cabin, and, and they'd had a, a demonic force trying to choke one of them, and they prayed and left the guy, and, and they prayed that God would put angels around their cabin. And one of the guys went out to the outhouse and didn't come back. So they went to look for him. And uh, he said, man, I wasn't coming back. He said, there was a nine-foot dude with a sword by the door. It was an angel right there with his sword drawn. And, and, uh, and he wasn't coming back. And I'm, I'm going, I probably wouldn't have either. I mean, you know, but uh, he was there to defend him. And that's what's happened here with Jacob. And, uh, and so angels are ministering spirits that are sent to help people who are saved. And in Hebrews 1.14, it says this, angels are only servants, spirits sent to care for people who will inherit salvation. So angels are servants of God that are sent here to protect us and help us. So J Jacob had seen these angels. You remember uh, we did a play one time when I was a kid, and we had like Jacob's ladder, you know, had the ladder, and he had the dream, but angels were coming up and down the ladder. And so he had seen angels before, but here they were to protect him. And that, that name Mahanaham, or however you say that, means two armies. And uh, he named that place that because he saw he knew he knew you know Esau's army or his army, but he also was talking about the army that he couldn't see the host of angels that were with him. And uh, and let me tell you, two's all you need. I mean, you can defeat anything with two angels. I mean, uh, so I, I don't know about you, but I'm glad that the angels of the Lord encamp about us to protect us. And uh, and so in th Psalm 34 7 said, the angel of the Lord is a guard. He surrounds and defends all who fear him. And there, there was a story I read is, uh, in the Hebrides Islands. The natives had decided to burn down the missionary compound. Some missionaries were there. And all night long, uh, they, were, they were attacking the compound. And, and the missionary, his name was John Patton, and he and his wife prayed that God would protect them. They prayed all night. They could hear the noise outside. But when daybreak came, they went out and... All the, the tribes were gone. They were gone. Well, later on, the chief of that tribe gave his life to Christ and became a Christian. And he asked him, he said, did y'all come on this particular night or were your intentions to kill us? And he said, yes. 
And he said, why didn't you kill us? And he said, well, we couldn't attack because there were hundreds of men in shiny outfits with swords and, and shields. And we couldn't attack. See, God had sent angels to protect them. And so uh, we, need to, we need to remember that and we need to pray for that. So Jacob was a defended man, but he was also, write this down, a distressed man. Because if you look in verses 3 through 7, it's going to tell us that. I mean, here Jacob knows that he's doing what God wants him to do. He, God's told him, I want you to go back to, to your homeland. And, and God's given him promises. He's going to be a great nation. And, and uh, you know... But he also knows his brother promised to kill him last time they saw each other. And, and, uh, and so he's going to do his best Dale Carnegie uh, attempt here. And so read with me. It says, Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he instructed his messengers. Here's what he said. This is what you're to say to my lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I've been staying with Laban and I have remained there until now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, male and female servants. And now I'm sending this message to my Lord that I might find favor in your eyes. And so here he's trying to, he's trying to butter Esau up. And uh, not a bad plan, I don't think, you know, I mean. But he said, when the messengers returned to Jacob, they said this, we went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. Anybody besides me, you'd think, "Uh uh-oh, I'm in big trouble. I mean, you know. He said, 400 men are coming with him. And look what verse 7 said, in great fear and distress. He's a distressed man in great fear and distress. So what Jacob did, he divided the people that were with him into two groups, and all the flocks and herds and camels as well. And so in spite of knowing that God was with him, that God had promised to protect him, he had angels there. He knew they were there. Jacob's terrified. You see, he's looking at the circumstances instead of keeping his eyes on God. And that when we become afraid of circumstances in our life and trials and troubles that we go through is when we're looking at the problem and not the answer. The answer is with God. And so, uh, you know, we do that over, I don't know about y'all, but I do it way too many times. And so we need to keep our eyes on the Lord instead of on our problems. We need to keep our eyes on the Lord instead of our problems. So a strategy... He strategized here. He divided his family and possessions into two groups. Then in verse 8, it says, He thought if Esau meets one group and attacks it, perhaps the other group can escape. So then Jacob prayed, Oh, my grandfather, uh, God of my grandfather Abraham and God of my father Isaac, Oh, Lord, you told me, return to your own land and to your relatives, and you promised me I will treat you kindly. He's reminding God of what God had promised him, Okay. Yeah, it's sometimes we do that and we think maybe God's got a bad memory. And, and so he's doing that. But he's, he's also building his faith because he's reciting what God has done. He said, the, the unfailing love and faithfulness you have shown to your... He said, I'm not worthy of the unfailing love and faithfulness you have shown to me, your servant. And when I left home and crossed the Jordan, I owned nothing except a walking stick. Now my household fills two large camps. Now... He, he prayed a good prayer, but what did he do first? He's trying to come up with a strategy of how to, how to handle it himself, right? He divided the groups up. And uh, let me just tell you this. Write this down. Prayer needs to be our first choice and not our last resort. Prayer needs to be the first thing we do before we try and figure it out, not the last thing we do after we can't figure it out. 
And, uh, and so we do this all the time. We try and fix it and then pray when we can't fix it, right? And uh, it's usually our last resort. And that's what Jacob was doing here. He'd, he'd come up with this plan. He'd sent, sent gifts to Esau to butter him up. And he's divided his group up so maybe some of them will live and all that. And then he said, you know what, maybe I should pray. <laughs> and so he prayed and, and um, you know, all of that stuff. He's, he's distressed. He's terrified. And, uh, and he was like a lot of us. He trusted God, but he also knew he had to figure it out. And so he was, he was a distressed man. Look at number three. He was also a defeated man. I'm going to show you what, 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 what I mean by that. See, he was protected. God was going to protect him. He was distressed, and now he's defeated. In verse 22, it says, During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives and his two servants' wives, and his 11 sons, and crossed the Jabbok River with them. And after taking them to the other side, he sent all of his possessions, over all his possessions. So everything has left his camp and gone across the river. And then Jacob was alone in the camp. Jacob was alone in the camp. And, he, and, uh, and a man came and wrestled with him. Now, how many of you have thought about this story? And if you were to tell this story, you said, Jacob wrestled with God. That's really not accurate. It says... The man came, and that's Jesus, pre-incarnate Jesus, the angel of the Lord, and wrestled with him. Here Jacob minding his own business in camp. He's worried about Esau, and some dude springs out of the woods and pounces upon him. I mean, you know, and, and, uh, and so when the man saw that he could not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of socket. Now I want to tell you something. God was working on Jacob. It, it says here that, when he, when he realized he wouldn't win the match, how many of you know God could have won the match? God could have won the match. But he was working on Jacob, just like he does you and me. He never stops working on us. Jacob had done all he, he could think of to do, and he would prayed, and uh, now he's wrestling uh, you know, with, with the angel of the Lord or with Jesus. And so a couple of things. God brought Jacob to a place of isolation. Write that down. He was alone. See, too often we don't get alone. We, you know, we want, we want to be busy. We want people around us, uh, you know, he's, but he's got to get us to a place where we're alone, where we're isolated. So our old nature wants to be busy and to try and fix it and all that kind of stuff, but God wants you to be alone with him so that he can deal with you. He's got to be able to deal with you one-on-one. This is going to want to do it. God brought Jacob to a place of isolation so he could bring him to a place of confrontation. He brought him to a place of confrontation. Look, it said in verse 24, Then Jacob left all alone in the camp, and a man came and wrestled with him. He confronted him. That man came, God came and confronted him. And, uh, and, and so the, mess, the, the man came and wrestled with Jacob. Jacob didn't start it. God did. See, God was working on Jacob. He works on us. Uh, you, know, here, you know, he's just been worried about Esau, but the angel of the Lord, Jesus, pre-incarnate, said, I need to do some work on, on Jacob. And so it says later in verse 30, Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I've seen the face, God face to face, and yet my life was spared. So he built an altar there, you know, and, and named that place. But Jacob, you know, he wasn't wrestling with Jesus. Jesus was working on him. Jesus was working on him. So I want you to really understand this. It's a little different twist than you may have ever thought about this story. It wasn't that, that Jacob started it. Jesus started it, and, and, and I don't know about you, but I've had many times 
when Jesus started it, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and, and so, and he'll work on you, and, uh, and he'll keep working on you. So the Lord brought him to a place of confrontation, but he also brought him to a place of desperation. 24 through 25, it says, Then Jacob, all alone in the camp, and a man came and wrestled with him to the break of dawn, and when the man saw he could not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. Now, if you've ever wrestled, in school or anything, you know you depend on your hips, your thighs, and your legs. That's the base of your strength. In golf, and baseball, and anything, this is your base right here. And now he's eliminated Jacob's strength, his physical strength. So God touched him in his strongest place. Didn't touch him in his weakness. He touched him in his place of strength. Why? So that he would have to come to that place of dependence on him. And here Jacob, so he can't fight. And now he can't run. And he was totally defeated. And the Lord brought him to that place of desperation, that place of isolation and confrontation, so that he could be this. Number four, Jacob was a dependent man. See, Jacob had to learn to be dependent upon God. Look in, look in verse uh, 26. It said, Then the man said, Let me go, for, my, for dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now listen, if you just got crippled and you're wrestling with somebody... I could get away from him, all right? You could get away from him because he can't do anything, but he's holding on. So I, I can just see, you know, God saying, hey, look, let me go. I hope you don't. I hope you don't. I hope you don't. See, he's working on Jacob. He's wanting to, to he's, 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 he's working on Jacob, and that's how God works. I mean, here's the thing. Sometimes it appears like he wants to pull away from you and he's just testing you like he was testing Jacob. He wanted to see if Jacob really wanted to press in. Sometimes we're pressing in and it doesn't feel like we're making any progress. And he's just letting us, how serious are you, Robert? How serious are you about, about walking with me, about following me? And, and, if, and when we sometimes, uh, if we let him go too soon, we're going to miss out on the blessing. Let me give you some examples in the Bible. There's a Syrophoenician woman in Matthew 15. I'll just read the story real quick. It said, Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A, a Gentile woman there came to him pleading, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon who, that torments her severely. But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. He just ignored her. Can you imagine? Jesus. Then his disciples urged him to send her away. Get her out of here. Tell her to go away, they said. She's bothering us with all her begging. Then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she came and worshiped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. Jesus responded, It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. And she replied, That's true, Lord, but even the dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. And Jesus said, Dear woman, your faith is great. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed instantly. Jesus wasn't being cold to her. He's wanting to, he was testing her. He's wanting to see, are you willing to press in? Are you willing to per persist? And, and, and so when you're praying, sometimes it don't happen the first time. Keep praying. Keep praying. The widow and the unjust judge, this is a little bit more famous story. Uh, most of us have heard this. One day the disciples told a story. Jesus told the story to the disciples that they should always pray and never give up. 
said there was a judge in a certain city said who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that same city came repeatedly to him saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. Anybody ever had somebody like that? This woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant request. Then Jesus said this, learn a lesson from the unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. And here's what he said. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? He said, I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man comes, how many will he find on earth who have faith? We've got to be persistent. We've got to press in. We've got to persist. And then how many of you, we preached on this a few weeks ago, the road to Emmaus. The disciples are walking along with Jesus, and he's teaching them. He's, in, he's incognito. You know, they don't know it. Post-resurrection. It says in Luke 24, 28, it says, By this time they were near Emmaus, and the end of their journey, Jesus acted as if he was going on. But they begged him. Look, they begged him, Stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with him. He wouldn't have gone if they hadn't really pressed in and asked him to come home with them. See, just like Jacob held on to God, the disciples insisted, and they found out who he was. The story I love is one of Elisha and Elijah. Uh, I, I, I mean, I used to love these stories. Elijah, just so, he's a beast. I mean, he's, he's a beast for God. But so when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were traveling from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, stay here for the Lord just told me to go to Bethel. But Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went down together to Bethel. Then a group of prophets from Bethel came to Elisha and asked, did you know the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? Of course I know, Elisha said, but be quiet about it. Then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here for the Lord has told me to go to Jericho. But Elisha replied again, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they together went on to Jericho. Then the group of prophets from Jericho came to Elisha and, and asked him, Did you know the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? Of course I know, Elisha said, but be quiet about it. Then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here for the Lord has told me to go to the Jordan River. And again Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. Think he was persistent? He was persistent. So they went on together. Fifty men from the group of prophets also went and watched from a distance as Elijah and Elisha stopped beside the Jordan River. Elijah folded his cloak together and struck the water with it, and the river divided, and the two of them walked across on dry ground. When they came to the other side, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I can do for you before I am taken away. And Elisha replied, Please let me inherit a double share of your spirit and become your successor. You've asked a difficult thing, Elijah replied. If you see me when I'm taken from you, then you will get your request. But if not, you won't. We know from reading that, Elisha saw him and he got his request. But Elisha was persistent. He was like a fly on flypaper. I mean, he was, he was stuck to Elijah. Folks, we need to be that way with Jesus. We need to be that way with Jesus. See, Elijah was testing Elisha. Do you really want it? Are you really ready to do what I'm calling you to do? I want to ask you, have sometimes in your life, have you let go of God too easily? 
So we're praying. I see so many times people say, well, I believe God wants me to do this. They run into a little bit of opposition, and they quit. Well, God didn't want me to do that. And, man, if you listen to some folks, God is one wishy-washy dude, but he is not. Sometimes he wants to see how bad you'll persist, how bad you'll persist. And we need to be able to tell God, I'm not going away just like Jacob did until you bless me. I'm not going away until you bless me. But most of us have never gotten to that place. God brought Jacob to the place of desperation, and it's where he wants you and me to be. It's the point of that wrestling. He wants you and me to be that place of desperation. He wants, us to be, he wants us to be like Paul when Paul said this, For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. And underline this, we put no confidence in human effort. Paul didn't trust in all the knowledge he had and all the education he had. It was all about what Jesus had done. Listen, in our country, we're built on self-confidence and, and, and all that. And, and let me tell you, the last thing we need is self-confidence. We need Jesus' confidence. We need confidence in the Lord. I know some people think, oh, man, we need more self-confidence. No, we need to be confident in the Lord. Write this down. Our confidence is in Jesus, not in ourselves. See, Paul said he had no confidence in the flesh, but Paul also said this in Philippians 4.13. He said, I can do what? Everything through Christ who gives me strength. I can do everything. Paul said, look, there's nothing I can't do through Christ. Who gives me the strength. And that's exactly where God was bringing Jacob. Jacob was protected. He was distressed. He was defeated. Because God wanted him to be dependent. And sometimes he'll take us through that. And, and listen. We need to say God I'm not going to let go. Until you bless me. I'm not going to let go until you've taught me what you want me to know. And, you know and, and so maybe your confidence is in your abilities. Or maybe your confidence in your health and strength. Or or your ability to sing or speak or your personality, whatever. And none of that's bad. But your confidence better be in Jesus. What he's done in your life and what he's doing in your life and what he's going to do in your life. And, uh, and so we need to come to that place. If you come to that place where you're willing to say, God, I'm not going to turn loose. I'm not going to turn loose. I'm, I'm with you and I'm going to be like Elisha to Elijah. I'm going to be like a fly on flypaper going to stay with you. That's where God wants you to be. And because of that, number five, write this down. Jacob was a different man. He's a changed man. He's a different man. God changed him. And he changes, wants to change us. Look at this transformation. It says in verse 26, then the man said, let me go for dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And then he goes, what's your name? The man asked. And he replied, Jacob. See, the last time somebody asked him what his name was, he lied about it. He said, my name's Esau, as he tricked his father into giving him a blessing. And see, he, Jacob, you know, meant liar, deceiver, trickster, heel grabber, all those things. And, and, and listen, let me tell you, when the Lord asks you a question like that, do you think that the Lord knew what his name was? Of course he did. He's, he's not looking for information. He's looking for a confession. He's looking for Jacob to confess, I'm Jacob the trickster, the hill grabber. I'm Jacob, the no good for England, you know, uh, snake salesman or whatever, you know. He's, he's, he's looking for that confession, but look what, look what happens after that. He said, your name will no longer be Jacob. From now on, 
you'll be called, Jacob means trickster, heel grabber. He said, from now on, you'll be called Israel, which means prince of God. He said, you're going to be called Israel. There's a whole nation named after Jacob, after his name was changed to Israel. Because you have fought with God and with men, and you've won. He won because he held on and got what God wanted for him. And so God gave him a different name because he was a different man. But God had to break him in order to bless him. God had to break him in order to bless him. Write this down. God delights in using broken things. Aren't you glad? Because all of us are broken in some kind of way, but God can use each and every one of us. You know, we typically throw things away that are broken, but God uses them in great ways. Uh, you know, uh, in Jeremiah 4, 3, it says, This is what the Lord said to the people of Judah and to Jerusalem. Break up your unplowed ground and do not sow among the thorns. Break up, in other words, plow the ground. Why would he want to plow the ground? He wants a harvest. He wants a crop, you know, and... Uh, and so Gideon was told to break a pitcher. Uh, why would he do that? So people could see the light. They had candles inside the pitcher. And, and judges, it said, Then he said to them, Keep your eyes on me when I come to the edge of the camp, just as I do, do just as I do. As soon as I and those with me blow the ram's horns, you blow your horns too, and around the entire camp and shout, For the Lord, for the Lord, and Gideon. And just after midnight, after the changing of the guard, when Gideon and a hundred men with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp, Suddenly blew the ram's horn and they broke the clay jars. And light showed up and it scared the Midianites. Why did the light show up? Because they broke the jars. Broken things. God uses broken things. Mary came to Jesus. And, and it says, meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. While he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard. And the nard part, I'm not sure it doesn't sound all that great, but anyway, she broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head, and, and it, the aroma filled the house, but what had to happen first? The jar had to be broken. God uses broken things. He uses crackpots. Aren't y'all glad he uses crackpots? Y'all supposed to laugh that we're all crackpots, right? Remember when Jesus fed 5,000 people? What did he do? He broke the bread. He blessed it. And they had some left over. See, Jesus breaks things in order to bless them. Write that down. He breaks things in order to bless them. Now, Jacob was broken, and he was a different man. God has to break us in order to bless us. God has to break us in order to bless us. Now, look, you're not going to like that process if you go like Jacob did. But you don't have to go through that process. I mean, we can, we can, we can be blessed uh, if we will choose to get rid of our pride, our arrogance, and depend on God without having to be broken. We can break ourselves. Look at these scriptures. Um, he doesn't have to use the troubles, but Paul wrote in, in 1 Corinthians 11, 31 and 32, but if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. Yet when we're judged by the Lord... We're being disciplined so that we won't be condemned along with the world. We can examine ourselves and confess our own sins, and, and, and it's going to be a lot better process. I don't know about y'all. I like the still small voice a whole lot better than the baseball bat upside my head. And, and Jacob uh, didn't listen for a while. We need to listen. Write this down. There's no blessing without brokenness. And how we get to that point of brokenness is... 
somewhat our choice, but God will bring us to that place of brokenness. No matter how it comes, we've got to depend on God. And when we do, He's going to work miracles in our lives. Proverbs 6 says this, For there are six things the Lord hates. No seven. And look at the first one. Haughtiness. Haughtiness. Pride. Arrogance. God hates that. And so we've got to allow that to break off of us. And if we'll do that willingly, then he won't have to do it for us. It's a lot smoother, a lot easier thing. So God will bring us to that place of dependence. Uh, we've, we've got to do that now. I want you to look at something. Jacob walked with a staff and a limp the rest of his life. It said in Hebrews eleven twenty one, it was by faith that Jacob, when he was old and dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and bowed in worship as he leaned on his staff. Let me tell you, Jacob learned to lean on that staff. He leaned on God. He worshiped leaning on that staff because he'd been crippled. He was dependent on the Lord, and he was leaning on Jesus the rest of his life. Let me ask you, have you learned to lean? Have you learned to lean? Are you still trying to do it on your own? You know, have you become a desperate person? Have you become a defeated person so you can become a dependent person and become a different person? See, God wants to make us different people. I want to point out, too, in all of Jacob's wrestling, you know, I used to uh, had friends wrestled all through high school and college. And, and in wrestling, how do you win? You pin somebody to the mat, right? God never pins Jacob. Why? He could have pinned Jacob. Why didn't he pin him? Because God will never make you do anything you don't want to do or don't want to be. Jacob still had to choose, and you have to choose as well. He's going to work on you, and you might be miserable, but he still gives the choice to you if you're going to follow him. You've got to make that choice to submit yourself to God to become that, that dependent person so that he can make you into a different person. Bow your heads with me if you would. If you're wrestling with the Lord, you need to lose that fight. You need to just go ahead and surrender, but hold on to him to get what he wants for you. So if you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, that's where it starts. See, he was wrestling with God. I've wrestled with God.